Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Wednesday, March 31st. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. One in four Asian Americans say they've experienced a hate incident. Plus, why Russia is backing Myanmar's military junta. But first, President Biden's big bet on infrastructure is today's one big thing. President Biden is in Pittsburgh today to announce details of a massive new $2 trillion jobs and infrastructure package. And it's just the first phase. Axios' White House reporter Hans Nichols is here to answer, will this be President Biden's new deal? Hey, Hans, I was reading through this. So this isn't just roads and bridges, but clean water infrastructure, digital infrastructure, pushing forward green jobs. What else should we know about what's in this? Oh, there's so much in here. They do slide in some what they call human infrastructure, and this is the so-called caregiving economy. And there's about $400 in there for that, so access for affordable homes or community-based care for aging relatives. So this isn't all traditional sort of bridges, roads, ports. There's some stuff in here that will be appealing to progressives as well. How do they want to pay for this? They're going to do tax hikes. They're going to go after corporations. This has always been part of Biden's plan, raise money from corporations. The most generous way you can sort of score, and that's just a fancy way to say estimate how much this is going to cost or how much they'll raise, is about $1.5 trillion over 10 years. What the White House has done is they said, actually, let's just pretend those taxes go on for 15 years. And so in 15 years, we get to the magical number of $2 trillion. And presto, it matches what we want to spend on infrastructure over eight years. I suspect there'll be some criticism on that, right? Because most budgets are over 10 years, not 15. So they're just teasing it out. It's like saying you got a 30-year mortgage. The payments don't seem that big when it's over 30 years. Do you think comparing this to the New Deal is fair as we're talking about like this years long project? Yes, totally fair if he passes it, if he gets it through Congress. My conversations with White House officials all week, really for the last two months, have been about how this is going to be an opening bid and a negotiation with Congress. So, yes, there are a lot of details in here. They've put out a 21-page plan. There'll be a lot of specifics. But in reality, this is just signaling on where they want to go. This is the opening offer of what they want and the opening offer on how they're going to pay for it. And everything after that turns into one big haggling session. Hans Nichols is Axios' White House reporter. Thanks, Hans. Thanks for having me. In 15 seconds, Russia's support of coup leaders in Myanmar. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Axios Today. Security forces in Myanmar have killed at least 114 people, including young children, on Saturday during protests. It was the deadliest day yet since a military coup took control of the country on February 1st. While the majority of the world's democracies have condemned these killings, and the U.S. has responded with trade sanctions, Russian President Vladimir Putin has done the opposite. 
Axios's world editor Dave Lawler is here. Dave, can you tell us how Russia has responded to this military coup situation in Myanmar? So when the killings happened on Saturday, Russia's deputy defense minister was actually in Myanmar. There was a military parade there. He received a medal. He met with the leader of the ruling junta there. And so the message was very much that Russia stands by you. So it's a very different message from Moscow than from many of the world's democracies. Dave, why is Russia taking this stance? Surely this isn't just in opposition to the U.S.? So Russia's position for all of these kind of authoritarian governments that are on the ropes is that Russia stands behind you. You know, we'll sell you arms, we'll give you diplomatic cover, including at the UN Security Council, where Russia has a veto. We're going to get some money in return for those deals, and we're also going to get influence in the country. And so we've seen this recently in Venezuela with Nicolas Maduro, in Syria with Bashar al-Assad, and next door to Russia in Belarus with Lukashenko. Axios's world editor, Dave Lawler. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nala. Perhaps you've already heard about a 65-year-old Asian-American woman who was brutally attacked in New York City just before noon on Monday. The video is hard to watch, but it's been viewed more than 7 million times. It comes the same time as new data is being released about hate crimes, especially in regards to the Asian-American community. It shows one out of four Asian-Americans said they've experienced a hate incident. Sarah K. Helani-Gu is Axios's executive editor. Sarah, this is a joint project from AAPI Data and SurveyMonkey. What is it telling us? So this survey is one of the first we've seen since the uptick in violence against Asian Americans, and it's showing a clear uh, sense among Asian Americans that 27 percent of them and 24 percent of Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders say they've been a victim of a hate crime, which means they have verbally or physically been abused or experienced property damage because of their race or ethnicity. That compares with just 22 percent of the national average of folks saying that they've had this similar incident happen to them. But keep in mind, this survey also looked at a wide range of experiences regarding discrimination with violence or hate crimes on one end and microaggressions on the other. Sarah, both you and I have experienced this personally. I can't tell you how many times in my life someone has asked me, where are you from? And when I say Miami, they say, but where are you really from? How did it feel for you to see this quantified in an actual survey? This is something Asian Americans talk about all the time amongst each other, amongst themselves. What it usually implies is, or sometimes more directly asked, at least in my experiences, people being kind of unsatisfied with your answer. So if I say I'm from Southern California, I usually will get, no, where are you really from? And I think when you're asked that constantly and then you realize like other people who are white are never really asked that question in an aggressive way, you realize you have the shared experience with other Asian Americans doesn't feel great. I have been asked this question all my life. And I think at a certain point, you are tired of answering the question because it's like you give an answer and it's not good enough. When you're asked that over and over and over again your whole life, that does leave an impression that you don't belong. Yeah, I think that's right. So when you add all this up, it's not the one experience or the second experience or the third experience, but the constant experience. I think by and large, I give people a lot of benefit of the doubt that they're very curious. But I also feel like 
there's so much people don't understand and there's so much that people assume about Asian Americans. And for me, I always think it's interesting because if they're asking about my ancestors coming to America, <laughs> as some I expect are, often I'm like, um, I'm as Chinese as you are Irish. So is, does that help? Thanks, Sarah. Sarah Kehilani-Gu is Axios's executive editor. What we're watching next with this, the White House yesterday also announced multiple actions, including reviving an initiative on the AAPI community, as well as directing the Justice Department in a cross-agency initiative to address anti-Asian violence. Before we go, it's the last episode of the month of March, which is International Women's History Month. That's why we wanted to end with this fact. Thanks to the pandemic and the amount of women leaving the workforce, it will now take 61 years for North American women to catch up to men. And we're talking about everything from political representation to life expectancy to wages. And speaking of money, worldwide, it will take more than 135 years to close the gender pay gap. That's up from 99 years before the pandemic. You can read the entire story about the World Economic Forum's new study at Axios.com. That's it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at Axios.com or find me on Twitter. My handle is Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.